Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM. I'm your host, Dr. Kathleen Margolin. As a parent, what would you do if your hospitalized child was in medical distress despite the efforts of the attending staff? In our modern healthcare system, some hospitals are beginning to embrace the concept of patient empowerment by enlisting patients and their families as a part of a new kind of rapid response team. Today, we'll be speaking with Tammy Merriman, nurse and vice president of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center's Center for Quality Improvement and Innovation. Ms. Merriman is responsible for the creation of a new type of rapid response team in hospitals for patients and their family members. Welcome, Tammy. Good morning, Kathleen. How are you today? I'm doing fine, thanks. It's not uncommon for hospitals to have rapid response teams in place, and in addition to condition A or condition arrest teams, your hospitals at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center have a rapid response program called Condition C for physicians and staff members. Can you describe that program? Absolutely. Condition C was a program that actually began in 1995 at one of our main academic hubs at UPMC Presbyterian. And they became aware of the research that was coming out of Australia at the time, whereby, gee, uh, why would we wait for patients to actually arrest? When you looked at the literature, you could see subtle signs of a patient's deteriorating clinical condition. And so the whole concept behind Condition C is call before they get to that point. And what we've been able to see through Condition C as it not only began at Presbyterian and then spread across all of our 19 hospitals is that catching people sooner allows them to survive, allows the nurse and the rest of the patient and family to feel that they are supported well beyond the normal practices in most hospitals. So Condition C essentially forms a lifeline when a nurse is observing a patient deteriorating. And what it does is it replaces the nurse's need to call STAT for respiratory therapy, call STAT for uh, social services, call STAT for the anesthesiologist. The team comes immediately. Mm -hmm. Everyone comes. You were inspired to develop a different kind of rapid response team system after hearing a very sad story of a toddler who lost her life due to multiple communication breakdowns in a hospital where she was being treated. I absolutely was. In uh, December of 2004, I actually was attending the Institute for Healthcare Improvement's annual meeting, and Sorrel King was up on stage as Don Berwick was launching the 100,000 Lives campaign. For those of you who aren't familiar with Sorrel, she lost her daughter Josie at the age of 18 months at a major academic medical center as a result of dehydration and pain med overdose. Josie had been a patient in the hospital for several weeks prior to the loss. Sorrell, when she was up on stage that day and Don Berwick was talking about rapid response teams, said very poignantly, wow, if there had been a rapid response team that I could have called, I'm sure Josie would have been alive today. What really made the story drive home was that when Sorrell reflected most recently here on a visit to Pittsburgh just about two weeks ago, what were the points in time that she could have called a rapid response team that she would have believed made a difference? There were two specific times that she reflected on. Josie, the day before she died, was actually being given a bath by Sorrell and her nurse, and she started to suck very furiously on a wash rag. And during that period of time, 
Sorrell really just begged the medical community for Josie to have something to drink. And the staff just kept reassuring her that Josie was fine. Her vital signs were fine. She was fine. And that this was just kind of the normal process that was happening. Sorrell shared with me that at that moment in time, she didn't feel things were fine and would have activated a Condition H for sure, given that moment. I think the other time that she really, in reflection, believes that would have made a difference was essentially when the moments prior to Josie's passing, a nurse came in with a syringe of methadone. And the doctor had left orders the last Sorrell knew to not give Josie any narcotics. The nurse indicated those orders had been changed, and Sorrell was, felt she was standing in the middle of a quandary and did not know what to do. And so she trusted the system uh, as opposed to her in- instincts as a mother. At that point in time, in hindsight, she really knows that if there had been a condition H there that she could have activated, she would have called. So those two examples, now coupled with our over 18 months of experience of working with Sorrell, have really formed the basis of why we believe this is so much the right thing to do. Is there a step between where it's decided that the call is valid, or how do they assess that, yes, we need to activate the team right away? We assume all calls are valid. So we assume, in simple language, the patient is always right, meaning If you believe in patient family empowerment at its roots, you know that even though it may not perceive as be present itself as a medical emergency to the healthcare team, it's an emergency to that patient right then and there. So we do no second guessing. The team responds completely and fully and stays until the problem is solved. And that might mean that 15 minutes after a call, we no longer need the physician, but we need some other member of a healthcare team to come and solve that patient's problem but we respond full force. If you're just tuning in, this is the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, channel 233, and I've been speaking with Tammy Merriman, RN, about new rapid response systems in hospitals for patients and their families. It's interesting that they address all complaints, and it appears that you and your team try to understand why the call was made and what you can learn from each and every call. We've had 44 calls to date uh, in roughly an 18-month period. And so that tells you a little bit, too, about the fears and anxieties that many organizations have asked us. Aren't you worried they're going to call for pitchers of water or a box of tissues? And what I have found and what we have found as an experience is that when you give people the power and authority to act upon to become partners in solving problems with you, They use it very just judiciously. So essentially, we average about two and a half calls a month. And we find that in a review that we've completed, so we do a pretty thorough debriefing of them all, about 62% of the calls could have led to a serious patient safety issue if we had not interceded at that point in time. So we're pretty confident that, number one, it's the right thing to do to listen to patients and families and give them a voice. And number two, we found that by catching these issues earlier, we really can prevent some significant safety issues. The success of the program in your hospitals is leading other hospitals across the United States to try to set up a program like that in their own hospital. Yes, yes, it has. We've been contacted 
by over 200 facilities since we began to talk publicly about Condition H. And each of them have had such passionate interest in moving the agenda of patient family empowerment forward. I often use the analogy, it's like 911, in that when you look at what happens when you magically cross the threshold of, of being admitted to the hospital, we take away some of the fundamental rights that actually you have access to in your own home. And we, as members of a team, need to get over that, essentially, and realize that empowering patients and families is a big part of how we're going to fix health care in the future. You've really made a career of listening to patients and solving problems, looking at the efficiency of the way hospitals work and nursing in particular. Can you share some of the other solutions that you've come up with in the hospital for uh, greater efficiency? Sure. I I have made a career of this. Uh, When I was first became a chief nursing officer uh, way back in 1996. You know, early on, you always decide what's going to matter to you as a leader and how healthcare workers, and particularly nurses, worked in such broken environments became my passion. Most recently, there's been a couple of statistics that I think are, are resounding for your audience to hear. One is that in a, any given eight-hour day, a nurse in America's hospitals today completes 100 tasks that last three minutes in length. The second statistic, also done from some research by a very good colleague of mine, Ann Hendrick, at Ascension Health, was the fact that when you look at the average medical surgical unit, the staff on that floor walk the circumference and half of the earth in one year. And so you begin to see that nurses' greatest communication device is their feet. And so it's, it's not hard to find opportunities to then improve their work environment which in the end, I hope, will keep nurses at the bedside and help contribute to the crisis that we have across healthcare today of why are nurses leaving the field. So several other examples of things that we've done that are, you know, when you think about them, very simplistic but so true. We've placed patient supplies in patient rooms. You know, used to be the nurse would have to make, on average, eight trips a day to a supply room to just get basic things to take care of patients. Stop it. Put them in the room. Let them have access. Trust me, People are always worried that someone will steal it or someone will take it. The time that your nurses are spending running up and down the hall compared to having that immediately available and the risk of theft is nothing. It's a no-brainer from a financial decision. Some of the other things were the liberalized diet. We decided years ago that we were going to transform the way we fed patients. We bring them into our hospitals these days for, on average, four to five days And somehow we think we're going to change the way you've eaten for the last 60 years. When you're sick, you want comfort foods. And when we, uh, as an organization, approached our medical staff about, gee, why don't we just let patients eat what they want? Why, Why do we think we can change everything about them in a very short period of time? They all looked at me and said, you're right, Tammy, you're starving our patients when they're here in the hospital. So we essentially took away all the rules. And by allowing patients and families to order what they wanted, whether that be soup or a cheeseburger, it was nourishment at a time when they usually need nourishment more than anything else in their life. And we found that they ate more, it cost us less, and their satisfaction was much greater because they were in control. 
the other thing that we discovered is that they were more willing to talk to a dietitian. We actually saw like a 30% increase in the number of dietitian consults because it became the patient's choice as opposed to the doctor sending a dietitian into you to lecture you about how you eat. That's another great example of patient empowerment, changing your system, saves money, does the right thing. I think you've allowed common sense and respect for individuals to guide you in empowering patients and their families. I also believe, too, that one of the premises as a leader that I tell my staff all the time, let's try it on one patient, one day, one time and see what happens because that makes them feel controlled within a change. Mm -hmm. And I always use the other phrase, what's the worst that can happen? We go back to the way it was. You've been listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. My guest has been Terry Merriman, nurse and vice president of the University of Pittsburgh's Medical Center, Center for Quality Improvement and Innovation. Ms. Merriman is responsible for the creation of a new type of rapid response team in hospitals for patients and their family members. There's another great segment coming up. Stay tuned.